Hello, this is Andrew Gomison, the host of the Speaking for Him podcast and the founder of Speaking for Him. Today on the show, we are tackling Decision 2020. On Tuesday, November 3rd, we will cast our vote for the President of the United States and many other offices. I feel blessed that here in America, we can make a decision personally about the leaders who will lead us into the future. I know there are a variety of views about the election process and whether a Christian should even be involved, but I hope and pray that you will listen with an open heart and realize that the things that I share in this episode are born out of my love for this country and, above all, my love for the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you, keep serving the best of masters, and enjoy the show. With that oath, Amy Coney Barrett this week became the ninth justice of the Supreme Court, one of the youngest to ever serve, and the fifth woman ever selected to America's highest court. And with that introduction, that kind of sets the framework for what we're going to discuss today as we discuss the implications of voting with purpose in Decision 2020. We are drawing ever closer to Election Day. It is coming up this Tuesday. If you have not already early voted, I would encourage you to get out and vote on Tuesday, um, November 3rd. And it is so important, I think, for us to educate, to um, exercise our constitutional right to do that. And we're going to talk about that today. You know, some people are frustrated with the choices and they are frustrated that maybe one vote doesn't count. But let me tell you something. If a hundred people say one vote doesn't count, then that's a hundred votes. And I'm pretty sure there's more than a hundred people throughout the United States that are saying today one vote doesn't count. So let me assure you, first of all, that your vote does count, and one of the reasons that it is so important to vote is for what we heard in the opening, the appointment of Supreme Court justices. Um, President Trump has appointed now three Supreme Court justices, and he has filled hundreds of lower court posts. And in some ways, he has flipped 
um, lower courts from liberal activist courts to people that truly want to interpret the Constitution and to look at laws the way that they are supposed to look at them. And I feel that because, as I said in previous weeks, of the justices and the situation with the power that we have allowed them to be vested with, that the, as Donald Trump said during the swearing-in, that it is so important, one of the most solemn jobs that he has is to appoint justices to the Supreme Court. So the significance of him being able to keep his promise and to choose strict constitutionalist judges to um, put in these offices is very important. And as we unpack this episode, I know that there is going to be disagreement. I know there is going to be controversy. You probably won't agree with everything I have to say, but I hope that you will listen to it and prayerfully consider it in the spirit in which it is delivered. And on that note, I just want to say, as I end this intro, that I do believe that defending our freedoms in this country is an extension and not a detraction from proclaiming the gospel. Because the Bible says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But it also says that when the wicked are in authority, the people groan. So as we, as Americans, have the opportunity to put people with righteous intent and righteous motives into our offices, we should be exercised to do so. And so my hope is that this episode will be an encouragement to you and that if you are encouraged by it, you will share it with others so that they can get this message and prayerfully consider what they will do as they go into the polls. Um, I was very uh, excited to see Amy Coney Barrett confirmed and so just very prayerful and anxious and excited to see what unfolds uh, this next week with Election Day. Um, and we'll get into the rest of the election-related discussion in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about what's going on. Well, we kind of already started on that road with talking about Amy Coney Barrett and her confirmation to the Supreme Court. It's kind of sad and significant to me. The morning after she was confirmed and sworn in as a justice, the Girl Scouts posted a um, post on their Facebook page, um, the Girl Scouts of America, saying congratulations to Amy Coney Barrett for becoming the fifth female justice ever selected to the court. And they highlighted the other justices and just kind of celebrated girl power. And then they took it down a little while later because people were offended. And they said in a statement, we made the wrong decision to post a political post and we apologize. So I think one of the things that we need to be aware of is the way that people are limiting content. We're in a place right now where um, Facebook does not claim to be a news organization, but they have been promoting news. And if you're liberal, if you have a liberal bent, if you have a bias toward the left, you get a free pass on Facebook. But if you 
um, are not of a liberal bent, if you are a conservative bent, they either cover your images as offensive, such as a post in that was revealed on Memorial Day or around Memorial Day about the soldiers of our country and the sacrifice that they make, where there was no vulgarity, no gore, just soldiers uh, at a cemetery either grieving for loved ones or someone grieving for their loved one who was a soldier. Absolutely nothing that would be construed by a normal person as offensive, but it was covered up on Facebook, and you had the option to see the photo, but we were warned that it could be offensive. And then there's just been other things that have been shut down. The press secretary of the United States had, had her Twitter account shut down, and so we're living in a world where if you if your news does not fit the narrative you are shut down and i am all for debate i am all for listening to multiple sides of an issue but when you do not allow both sides to be heard that is not debate and so i just wanted to make that clear um as i am going through life i had a good week at school um we continue to be able to be open. Um, our superintendent in his weekly video said that we have reached the 10 week p- point in the school year. And so that is a, that is a blessing to be able to still be in person and ministering to students. And it's a blessing to me to be able to go to work every day and to be able to get out of the house in that way. Um, we're still, uh, kind of in Michigan fighting um, certain dictates of our governor. Um, Now the latest thing since we won at the Supreme Court level is the effort by her to use the health department um, to leverage limits in place. And again, it it would be, I think it would be foolish to say that we shouldn't be careful, Um, but there's a, there's ways to be careful and, and, and there's ways to go overboard. And I feel like we're in a place where we are definitely at that overboard place. And I also think that cases, which is what their primary measuring stick is, is not necessarily an indicator of health because not everybody who is a positive case is sick or, or really are very sick. A case in point that I would point out is that Nick Saban last week, early last week, um, tested positive for the coronavirus, so he left the team facility. He's the head coach of the University of Alabama, for those who don't know, and I believe throughout the week took three more tests. All three of the following tests, if I remember correctly, um, were negative tests, and so he was allowed to return to the sideline to coach football with no real absence from the game as far as the game is being played. And so it's just really hard to know how accurate the testing information is. And and the, num- the number of tests have gone up exponentially, so the number of cases would consequentially do that. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that it's not something that I would take seriously. Um, but we definitely need to have an economy in order to have a state, in order to have a country. And it's foolish to have these Democratic governors completely shutting down the economy and then blaming the president for not having a good economy. 
I just had, I just think that is a really foolish way to look at things. So we're going to move on to our main segment now as we consider the vote 2020 and voting with purpose. All right, well, as I said at the beginning of this show, um, we are, uh, the election is upon us. Um, if you would like more information on the third party candidates, cause maybe that's where you're at and you really don't feel like you can vote for either of the presidential candidates, I would encourage you to check out the episode of the Menacing Millennials podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and pretty much any other podcast place where you can find the speaking for him podcast that I did with Russ and the guys over at menacing millennials, where we highlighted the third party candidates. Um, but it's important for me to mention here that I, as we looked at the third party candidates, we learned a few things. First of all, there's two or three of them that I would ideologically agree with. Um, but none of them, even if they did well in the places where they are on the ballot, would have enough electoral votes to become president. There's only one third-party candidate who is on every ballot, and that is Joe Jurgensen of the Libertarian Party. And as a part of her limiting of government that libertarians believe in so strongly, she is pro-choice. And... As I've said before, the life issue is so important in my voting process, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But first, I want to share with you our quote of the day. Our quote of the day today comes from one Mr. Thomas Jefferson, the writer of the uh, Declaration of Independence and one of our primary founding fathers. And he said this, we do not have government by the majority. We have government by the majority who participate. And I think that's so important as we are going into this Tuesday that we realize how low the voting numbers actually are. Now I've heard statistics that say this could be a record turnout, which is a great thing. I think people need to exercise their right to vote. But it's not just about voting. It's about being informed on the issues. And I feel like a lot of times lately, we haven't really talked about the issues. We just talk about things that we don't like about the particular person who is running. And and I want to pull us a little bit away from that today. Not to say that a person's character is not important, because it is. Please do not misunderstand me. I do think character is important. But... You also need to look at the policies of the person running. And now, having been through most of President Trump's first term, we know where his policies lie. And so I think that if you look at it policy-wise and you just say, what policies are important to me, that should help to inform your voting. And as a believer in Jesus, I think it's important for us to have um, policy beliefs that line up with Scripture, And one of the biggest things that the scriptures tell us is that all life is sacred. Why is all life sacred? Because man, man was 
created by God. He was the only creation of God that was breathed into and became a living soul. There's no other creation of God that is called a living soul. That is a significant thing. It's not a simple thing. It is a true thing. It is a real thing, and we need to be aware of it. I want to share this statistic with you um, that I found on Google that said 55% of the voting age population voted in 2016. That is very sad because that means almost 45% of the voting age population did not cast a vote. There's an old saying that says those who don't read have no advantage over those who don't. I believe it was Mark Twain. I should probably look that up and maybe I'll include it in the show notes for this episode if I can find it. But I want to reframe that quote a little bit. And I want to say this. Those who don't vote have no advantage over those who can't. There are many countries that are ruled by dictatorships. And they have no opportunity to express their opinion or their vote on anything. And we here in the United States have that opportunity. And so if we choose not to exercise it, I think we are doing a gross misservice. Because as I said earlier, when righteous people are in authority... People rejoice. So if we have the power to put righteous people into office, why would we, why would we not do that? Why would we be derelict in that duty? That is a question that we all have to consider. And we all have to be persuaded in our own minds. So, We opened this show with the swearing-in of Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And I want to bring you back a little bit to the importance of that and the importance of the Supreme Court. And in order to do that, I want to give you a little bit of a primer in the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment is an amendment that was put forth to further the rights of the black American. Well, first of all, to make blacks Americans, because we essentially freed the slaves at the end of the Civil War. The Emancipation Proclamation said that they were henceforth and forever free. The 13th Amendment was ratified around that time, saying that slavery should be permanently and forever abolished. And then the 14th Amendment said, okay, now that you're not a slave, what rights do you have? Because it wouldn't have been good enough to simply say you're not a slave if you don't have the rights of citizenship. So the purpose of the 14th Amendment was to give the rights of citizenship to the former slaves 
particularly the blacks, the African-Americans predominantly, although they came from other places as well. That was the purpose of the 14th Amendment. Somehow, judges have found within the 14th Amendment the right to abortion and the right to homosexual marriage. But I want to focus on the right to abortion. Because people always say Roe versus Wade is law. Roe versus Wade gives us the right to have an abortion anytime we want. But Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away recently, said that Roe versus Wade was bad law. And Joe Biden said he wanted to see legalized abortion codified into law, basically admitting that Roe versus Wade is not a law unto itself. It's also significant that Michael Ferris, who is a constitutional and homeschool-focused attorney, said that the 14th Amendment was actually used before Roe v. Wade to affirm life and to prevent people from killing their unborn children. So in order to understand the 14th Amendment, we need to look at what it says. So I want to look... First at Article 1 and then at Article 5. There's five articles to the 14th Amendment. I would encourage you to read all of them. But for the purposes of our discussion today, we are going to read the first and the fifth. The first one says, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce a law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. So at this point, we have people that we know are people, Science tells us that they are people. We can, especially now, in 2020, look at ultrasounds and show that the unborn child is a person, and they are being denied life, liberty, and due process of law. So the 14th Amendment is basically being twisted and turned on its head to be used for the opposite reason that it was enforced for life, liberty, and due process of law. Now let's consider Article 5. Because Article 5, to me, really shows the primary flaw in Roe v. Wade. It's not that there isn't any other flaws, but Article 5 says this. The Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. The Congress. One of the things that we see here in the United States is that the Congress does not actually decide very many major national legal issues because the courts step in. 
and they make them national before the legislative process can even decide. They did that with Roe versus Wade, where there was many states that had provisions limiting or even outright outlawing abortion. Even in 1868, when this 14th Amendment was ratified, many states had laws outlawing abortion. You know, one of the the early things that we say in the Declaration of Independence, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Because there was a self-evident truth that life mattered. Like I said, Article 5 seals the deal because the courts, in so many ways, take the power away from the Congress. Because that's the other thing that I would say about the court. If the court strikes down a law as unconstitutional, I don't think it should mean that the opposite is automatically true. It should mean the Congress needs to go to work and come up with a law that would be constitutional. But because we have vested the power that we have in our courts, the courts are a very important reason to cast a vote for president. Now, many liberal politicians will say that they're that they have a litmus test that judges have to protect the right to choose, regardless of whether it's sound law, they have to protect the right to choose. They always talk about changing the Constitution. They talk about it being a living and breathing document. But they don't realize that the Founding Fathers gave us a document based on self-evident truth. That we need to maintain in order to maintain an orderly society. It's important for us to note that our society is based on the fact that we will be a morally responsible people. See, true freedom in America is not based on the freedom to do everything we want. It is the freedom to do what we ought. And if we don't have a moral barometer for what we ought to do, we can't have a free and a just America. So just considering the 14th Amendment and the ways that judges have chosen to use it means that the appointment of judges are important, and especially those who will strictly interpret the Constitution. And I believe that our president, Donald Trump, has done that. So as we get into this next part of the podcast, we ask the question, why should I vote? I ask this to myself, and I ask this to you, the listener. Or for you, the listener, because perhaps you're one of those listeners who is asking, why should I vote? I look at three different reasons. So let's look at them. Voting is an act of obedience. I have two passages for that. 
The first one is Romans 13, 1-4. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive of themselves damnation. Shall receive to themselves damnation. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the saint. For he is a minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath on them that doeth evil. Romans 13, 1-4 I'm going to pause here and let you know that um, my primary source for these reasons is the Christian Post, an article that I found, Three Reasons Why Christians Should Vote. And I will post that on the blog post for this article. You know, I encourage people to go to my blog um, often. I post a blog post for every episode. But this episode, it may be um, more important than others to go there because there will be some, some definite resources there. And so make sure that you go to the blog. But this this first passage outlines the government as our authority. And one of the points that the Christian Post made in their article was that we, as a nation that is founded by the people and for the people and of the people, instead of um, submitting to the power foisted upon us, we give people power through our system of government. We entrust them with the responsibility to represent us. See, it's it's really hard in practical terms to ask the question, would Jesus vote? Because he never had the opportunity to vote. But he did say, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. And if we want godly representation, what better way to get it than to vote it in? I also want to share this passage from Acts twenty-two twenty-five to 28 Because Paul, the one who wrote, Our citizenship is not of this world, but is in heaven. He also nonetheless appealed to his Roman citizenship to get treated justly. In Acts twenty two, twenty five to twenty eight we read this And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. The chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, "Yea." And the chief captain answered, "With a great sum of, with a great sum obtained I this freedom." And Paul said, "But I was freeborn." And again, that's Acts twenty-two twenty-five to twenty-eight. 
So Paul, even though he was a citizen of heaven, was not afraid to call upon his Roman citizen and to embrace the rights that he was given as being a freeborn Roman citizen. He didn't even pay for his Roman citizenship. He simply was a Roman citizen by birth. And I know some people justify not voting by saying, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would fight. But context is important. And when Jesus was talking, he was talking about being on trial before Pilate and Caiaphas. He was saying, this trial has to happen to fulfill my kingdom. If his disciples had fought for his liberation, our liberation from sin would not have happened. So it's not comparable to voting in a civil election here in the United States. It's a, it's a bad reading of the context. Now, can we be obsessed? Absolutely. Should we be obsessed? No. Because God should be our primary focus. But we need to make sure that we know that certain things are not wrong in and of themselves, but our love of them, our obsession with them, is what makes them wrong. It's the same thing when we talk about money. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't ridicule every rich person in the Bible. It simply says the love of money is the root of all evil. So we need to keep things in perspective. The next point about why should I vote? Voting is an opportunity to do good. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James 4.17 now, of course, I can't tell you that you have to vote. That is a decision that is made between you and God. But I have been convinced in myself that if I failed to go to vote on Tuesday, I would be sinning because I have an opportunity to do good with my vote. I have an opportunity to express my views. I have an opportunity to show that there are people in this culture that want to be governed by a moral platform that embraces life, that wants citizens to have the right to control their own life, that doesn't want to be governed by socialism. I have been a part of socialism light for 23 years since I turned 18. And the amount of hoops that I have to go through because I am on disability makes life very hard. And in many ways is the opposite of freedom. And doesn't really encourage people like me or employers, for that matter, to put themselves in positions to succeed or to give employees opportunities to succeed. 
You don't bring people up by bringing successful people down. This is an important thing to know. The third thing, voting is a way to show love for God and to my neighbor. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Proverbs 3.9 I fight for life on this podcast because these precious unborn babies are poor and needy. They don't have a voice of their own. They're not allowed to say, I want to live. It's kind of ironic to me the number of fertility clinics there are in the U.S. with the number of abortions that occur in the same place. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. And yet, it is a fact. So we need to be aware of this as we are going to vote. I hope that you will be prayerful and mindful of the importance of knowing that making an informed vote can make a difference in this country. And not just for today, for generations to come. Amy Coney Barrett is 48 years old. As the Supreme Court stands now, it is a lifetime appointment. She could easily serve as a justice for the next 30 or 40 years. Therefore, the opportunity to select justices can stretch Trump's legacy far beyond his own life. So that just underscores the importance of what it means to be the president and make decisions for the American people. So, as we've answered the questions of why we should vote, I want to talk to you a little bit about the basis of my vote. I have four things, and I could probably list more, but I'm going to focus on these four things for why I am voting the way I am voting. The basis of my vote for president and other offices, I will mention, because we vote for members of the Michigan Supreme Court, and I think given everything that is going on in the state of Michigan, it is very important to make solid choices for the Supreme Court. Please make sure that you vote for that office. If you vote just straight ticket, you still have to vote for the justices separate. They are non-partisan. The justices that are um, are endorsed by Right to Life of Michigan are Swartzel and Kelly. We won a narrow Supreme Court victory over Governor Whitmer 
a few weeks ago, and that could easily turn if we do not appoint constitutional judges. Once again, judges who believe that the governor should work with the legislature, just like the president should work with the legislature. These are important um, checks and balances. So I would encourage you to vote for Schwartzel and Kelly for justice on the state of Michigan level. But moving right along, my criteria for voting is to vote for people that are pro-life. I appreciate the fact that our president is pro-Israel. Paul said to pray for the peace of Israel. It never goes well for a nation that goes against God's chosen people. I want to vote for people that are pro-religious liberty. I'm going to play a clip in just a moment by a man named Charlie Kirk who will explain in greater detail the importance of these judicial appointments. So that's coming in a minute. But first, let me finish my list here. So, I also like that our president has solid people around him. You know, he all—he obviously has character flaws. He obviously says some foolish things. It's important, as the Proverbs say, to think before we speak. But he has born-again Christians who care about biblical truth and defending life and American liberty in every level of his administration. People like his press secretary and his secretary of housing and urban development, Ben Carson, his vice president, Mike Pence. And so it's really important for me to have a guy in power, in the power of the presidency, that is going to put good people around him. See, when President Trump first ran for office, I was afraid of what would happen. I've even had memories coming up where I posted things saying, don't vote for Trump, just don't do it. And I was frustrated when he was nominated for the Republican nomination. And I was considering for the first time in my political life, in my life as a voter, to vote third party. I followed the libertarian race very closely. I watched um, details about the libertarian convention, stuff I never would have thought of. But I wanted to see if they would make a good choice. 
they had at least one, if not two conservatives running for that chance to be the libertarian candidate. But then they chose Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico, who was very obviously pro-choice. And so I think it says a lot about a man, even if he himself is not a believer, that he surrounds himself with believers and allows them to influence and help him to enact policy. President Trump has repeatedly done things to prove himself pro-life. Every time he does something good, people say he's pandering. I say it would be pandering if it only happened for a couple months. But now we're at almost four years, three and a half, four years. And I think we can safely say that his pandering, if it was pandering, has turned into policy. I think that's an important distinction. I understand the concerns because when he became the presidential nominee, I thought, well, if he chooses a liberal like Mike Bloomberg, who considers himself a Republican but is pro-choice and pretty much liberal in every social issue, if he chooses someone like that and makes non-conservative, non-biblical decisions, then I can't support that. But I have to give credit where credit is due and thank God that our president has made wise decisions. And again, I can't tell you who to vote for. If you can't vote for Donald Trump, don't vote for Donald Trump. But I will, I have very big problems with people saying I can't vote for Donald Trump as a Christian, but I'm going to turn around and vote for Joe Biden who does not stand for biblical truth who does not stand for life. You know, he says he's personally pro-life. And yet he doubles down and says, I want to make abortion even more readily accessible, even more codified into law than it is now. I don't really care if you're personally pro-life, if it doesn't affect your policy. I, I just love it when... People ask either Supreme Court justices who are being nominated or political candidates, how does your faith impact your policy? And they think it's great when it doesn't. But Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. So if you are a Christian, it should impact every part of your life. So if you are a Christian in politics, it should impact your politics. I think it's a cop-out answer to say it doesn't affect my policy and to make that commitment. Because your faith should inform what you stand for. That should be a simple way of saying this is what's important to me, this is how I determine what's important to me, my faith. A private faith is no faith at all because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I know people say, well, that's, that's sharing the gospel. It is. 
But the second part often gets overlooked because it says teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And part of the way we do that is by enacting laws and putting forth leaders that embrace biblical truth as a basis for making law. Moses is on court buildings in different places in our nation, particularly Washington, D.C., There have been many fights over the years to have the Ten Commandments removed from courthouses and schoolrooms and other places. Why would they need to be removed if they weren't there in the first place? Why were they there in the first place? Because the Ten Commandments is a basis for the rule of law in the United States. Whether you want to admit it or not. Alright, well I hope that you have been blessed by what I've had to share. I hope you realize that I'm simply sharing from my heart the things that I believe God would have us share. And for those who who don't think that this aligns with the gospel, let me just ask you, what greater opportunity do I have when someone says, Why are you pro-life? Why is this issue so important to me? When I can say to them from Jeremiah chapter 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Or I can go to the book of Psalms and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, for you wrought me in the lower depths. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Once again, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and that my soul knows right well. And I can say to people, you know, I'm pro-life because we're not just here by happenstance. We're not just here by chance. Every child was knitted together by God in the womb of his mother for a purpose. And so that is what I want to bring across. And that brings us to the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that if we believe on Jesus Christ and we receive the gift of his grace, then he says to us, you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus who has work to do that I have before ordained that you should walk in it. All right, as I close here, I want to share this Charlie Kirk clip. Um... I don't necessarily agree with every part of his delivery, but his point is sound. So please give it a listen. There's a lot of Christians that say, well, I'm not going to, and there's certain publications that have done this, and you know them better Mm -hmm. than I do, Christian publications, and they say, well, I'm not going to tolerate Donald Trump and his all of his shenanigans and all this sort of stuff. I say, man, you must be really okay with a million abortions a year to have that kind of snobbish, elitist attitude. And I'm not willing to go in front of my creator with that kind of cockiness, my friend. I am not willing to face judgment and say, you know, the million abortion a year thing, I decided to stay silent on that because I didn't like a guy's tone. I... I, I, I'm not. I'm not prepared to make that argument. I'm not. 
And nor am I saying you should make an excuse. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Instead, what I'm saying is, my goodness, you have a vessel for the first time. You had a president speak at the March for Life in our country. George W. Bush didn't speak at that's the March right. for Life. That's right. And so then, you know, let's talk about this. And people say, well, Charlie, I, I really, I love George W. Bush. That's fine. He's a very nice person. He's a Christian and all of that. But you have John Roberts thinks to George W. Bush. John Roberts just ruled that churches are not essential, that salvation is not essential, and the Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas closed, and now you're seeing persecution of Christians across the country, George W. Bush. But guess what? The two justices that Donald Trump put on the court, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, yeah, said clearly yeah. and emphatically church is essential and churches should remain open. Hold on a second, ivory tower Christians in the That's Southern right. Baptist Convention. That's Since right. you're better human beings than I am, explain to me very clearly, right. the Christian George W. Bush put John Roberts on the court... And yep. the, t- the three times married, twice divorced, once cover of the Playboy magazine person that you think is vulgar and awful, he's defending Christianity more than the person that you say is more fit to be president. So I hope that this episode has given you a lot to think about. I know it's jam-packed, and there's a lot that I cover here. I'd be interested to hear your feedback. If you honestly disagree with me about something, feel free to share it. As long as it's in a civil way, you can either leave a comment on my blog or on my Facebook page, really trying to revamp and get more discussion going on there. But I hope that you will prayerfully um, consider casting your vote on Tuesday. It is so important for us to take the opportunity to have a voice when we do. Because there are other people, as I said at the beginning of this show, that do not have the opportunity that you do to cast your vote and make a difference. And I do believe that one vote can make a difference, especially since I hear many, many, many people say that one vote doesn't make a difference. And so that adds up to a lot of people. Well, that's the show for today. I hope that you've enjoyed it. As I said, I hope that you share it with your family and friends so that they can be informed and hopefully be blessed um, by the things that I have shared here. I hope that you will contact me with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. Have a great weekend. See you at the polls. And above all, keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 